Bismillah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Bismillah We've made it now to the beginning of chapter 3 on praising the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam So in this, uh, with, with this piece Bada'a al-mu'allifu fi maqsudihi radiyallahu ta'ala anhu With this now he gets into his real intent His real intent So he said radiyallahu ta'ala anhu wa nafa'anallahu iyahu bi'ulumihi fi darin Ameen Zalamtu sunnata man ahyad zalama ila anashtakat qadamahu al-durra min warami ظلمت سنة من أحيا الظلام إلى أن اشتكت قدماه الضر من ورمي. I have wronged the Sunnah of him. Oh, actually, now I I forgot that I have um, this PDF for you guys. Maybe it'll make it easier to follow. Uh, let me put it up. This is the line. It's a little bit blurry, but madish. I have neglected the path of the one who brought black nights to life by praying until even his feet swelled with distress. So, uh, kind of the backstory of that is the famous hadith of the Prophet وسلم, uh, where it was said about him that he would pray extensively in the night. Uh, so much so that his uh, his wife, so much so that his ankles would swell, and Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked him, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, why do you pray so much? You know, and you are the one who has been forgiven that which comes and that which came. So why don't you just basically take a rest? So he said, Allah akun abdan shakura. Should I not be a grateful servant? Should I not be a grateful servant? And so the Prophet ﷺ would pray so much that his ankles would swell in the night. Uh, and his response is very interesting and very important. His response is very interesting and very important because his response is not to say, I fear hell, or not to say, I seek, I'm seeking the reward of paradise. The one who has is motivated by fear will be limited in what they can do. And the one who is motivated by reward will also be limited in what they can do. But the one who is motivated purely by their relationship with Allah, then they will be able to do things that the other two categories of people cannot do. And so the Prophet wasallam is clarifying that his uh, his his motivating influence is his feeling of his relationship with God that that brings him to a level of gratitude and then that gratitude propels him to be a person of uh, tremendous worship hmm. So there's a reality that he has embraced. There's a reality that he has embraced and he has understood. And it's become so deeply a part of him that now it's motivating his actions in a very real way. Um, and you know, hopefully that's what Iman does when it, when it really settles. Allah give us that experience. Allahumma ameen. So that's the background of this verse. Then it's also important to note though that that's the background of the image that he's drawing upon in the verse. But what is he actually trying to do in the verse? In the verse, it's a calling upon us to be self-reflective about where we stand in relation to the way of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi and then also to describe that way with an image um, which is going to be more motivating, more powerful. 
So, I mean, outside of poetry, he could have said something like, ظَلَمْتُ سُنَّةِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم. If you didn't have to worry about, you know, the limitations of poetry. ظَلَمْتُ سُنَّةَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم. مَسَلًا But that's not what he said. <coughs> because in drawing the image uh, and describing the Prophet وسلم, as the one who prayed in the night, gave life to the night until his ankles become swollen, then he's giving a different image. So we could, for example, think about different descriptions of the Prophet وسلم, that are motivating to us. Methanan, for example. Um, that the Prophet وسلم, gave and gave and gave until people said, believe in this man because he gives the giving of one who does not fear poverty. So instead of saying, I have neglected the path of the one who brought black knights, I could say, I have neglected the path of the one who gave until they said, this is a man who fears not poverty. Or I could say, I have neglected the path of the one who elongated his sujood because his grandchild was crawling on his back. Or, I have neglected the path of the one who used to remember his wife after she passed when he would hear the voice of her sister. Or, I have neglected the path of the one who rode into the darkness of the outskirts of Medina when he heard a loud sound to check upon it before the companions could even rise from their homes. Or, I neglected the path of the one who died with nothing and lived for everything. Could go, you could go about it any number of different ways, but one can reflect upon the life. The idea is to reflect upon the life of the Prophet and then to use that reservoir of information as a means by which to draw up an image in our minds that calls us to uh, act upon the way of the Prophet So you see what he did here then is I have neglected the path of one who brought black knights to, brought black knights to life by praying until even his feet swelled with distress Sallallahu uh, another thing to note here is that the Prophet ﷺ is described as having brought knights to life. Having brought knights to life. And uh, it's, it's good to recall that that's, that's a concept that we have in our, in, in, in our works, in our books. The idea of bringing the knight to life. And the night is brought to life through remembrance of God. It's a very different definition of nightlife. Right? It's a very different definition of nightlife. You say somewhere has a good nightlife. Usually they don't mean that people are praying and making dhikr in the night. But that is what true nightlife is. And um, it's, it, it's, it's life because... The physical darkness is illuminated with the spiritual light. And we have many hadith that talk about that concept, right? The concept of the gatherings wherein Allah is remembered, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and wherein the Prophet is praised, that those are gatherings where the ain that, that that are like beacons of light that the angels seek them out in the celestial realm. And so uh, we have many re evidences for that. One of them will come shortly when we talk about the merits of praying in the night. Uh, there are many reports of the Prophet them and his praying in the night and the nature of it. For example, the, sh the commentator, he says, may Allah be pleased with him. There are reports that have been transmitted concerning the night vigils and prayers of Allah's emissary. May Allah bless him and give him peace. 
It is reported that Auf ibn Malik said, One night I was with the emissary of Allah. He cleaned his teeth with a tooth stick, performed ablutions, and stood up to pray. So I stood with him. He began by reciting Surah Al-Baqarah. He did not recite a single verse of glorification without glorifying Allah. And he did not recite a single verse of refuge without seeking refuge with Allah. And he did not recite a single verse of mercy without pausing and asking for mercy. After that he bowed and then raised his head and said, Exalted and transcendent is Allah, master of the material and spiritual realms, and possessor of magnificence. Then he prostrated and said the same thing. Then, after standing again, he recited Surah Surah Al-Imran, and then another Surah, and then another, doing the same in his bowing and his prostration as he did in the first unit of prayer. Sallallahu alayhi wa So, this narration and many others indicate the length of the night prayer of the Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa They seem to indicate at some level that he was spending a huge portion of the night in prayer. Very large portion of the night in prayer, and uh, that is that is um, that really takes some some vigor. You know, it really takes some vigor. It takes some strength, and uh, not only physical but spiritual strength. Really serious. Uh, we already mentioned the narration about being a grateful servant. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There is a, some level of debate about the ruling of Qiyam al-Layl, praying in the night for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and uh, like, was it recommended for him? Was it compulsory for the for the majority for the body of the Muslims? Praying in the night is recommended, highly recommended. But what was its ruling for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Was it the same? Was it different? And the majority of the scholars, they hold the position that it was required for him. And that at one point it was required for others, and then that changed when the five daily prayers were uh, were prescribed. So before the five daily prayers, it's said that before the five daily prayers, that the night prayer was obligatory upon all of the Muslims. And of course that would include the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that when the... Uh, five daily prayers were established in Isra and Mi'raj then uh, then that became the obligation upon everybody else instead of the night prayer and in the case of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Sayyidina then uh, that became uh, an obligation in addition to the night prayer Allahu A'lam the Prophet Wasallam used to enjoin and encourage the night vigil prayer. In one hadith, the emissary of Allah, Allah bless him and give him peace, stated, Abu Huraira, do you wish to have Allah's mercy upon you in life and death and in the grave and after resurrection? Yes, said Abu Huraira. He said, then stand in the night, Abu Huraira, and pray while desiring the good pleasure of your Lord. If you pray in the inner confines of your home, the light of your home seen in the heavens will be like the light of the celestial bodies. Uh, it is also related that if a person who prays the night vigil prayer, his place of prayer on the ground weeps for him, as does the area in the heavens to which his deeds are raised. Now this hadith that I just mentioned, um, it's, it seems that the scholars had a difficult time finding a basis for it. But one can uh, take take the idea from it. There's there are other narrations um, that talk about kind of like the importance of praying in the night and encouraging some of the companions to do it. Um, and then there's other narrations that talk about worship being a means that enlightens or illuminates the person's residence. So if you put these together, the meaning is still sound, uh, and we can take the meaning from it. Interestingly, one of the as a side note, one of the things that scholars in the past would often do is make reference to hadith that are disputed in their authenticity in their works. And they would make reference to them quite often. And the idea behind that would be that the meaning of the hadith is sound even if the actual chain of transmission is not sound. And um, what that teaches a person is to pay attention to the point. 
and to not get lost in the uh, in, in the side matters. Of course, if if the idea is to establish authenticity and so on and so forth, that's that should be done. We absolutely have to do that. But when we're trying to take general benefit, then uh, we should avoid getting lost in the details. Like in in Arabic, they always say. ليس من شأن الرجال أن خوضوا في المثال ليس من شأن الرجال أن خوضوا في المثال that the it's it's not appropriate for people of maturity to become lost in the the example and so um, you see this a lot now I I I feel like I, I feel like this is something kind of related to um, social media and like YouTubers actually because in fake news in some way because fake news and YouTubers and stuff a lot of times the content that they're they're coming out with are kind of like needless commentaries on things and so oftentimes what that entails is just useless arguments that don't really have any consequence so what an example of what I'm talking about would be like, I don't know, say you're talking about someone who lives in a desert, and you're like, but when they did that, they missed the forest for the trees, right? Um, you know, they were focusing on the trees, they missed the forest. And and then someone would respond and be like, well, so-and-so didn't, he lived in a, lived in a, lived in a sorry, so-and-so lives in a desert. They don't live in a forest. So... You know, they, how are they going to miss the forest for the trees when they don't even live in a forest? Like, come on, that's not the point. Pay attention to the point. Don't get lost in the, you know, sometimes we get, we get so lost in the side issues that we miss the actual point at hand. So the point at hand is that praying in the night is a means of illumination. And it's a means of being recognized in the celestial realm by those who report to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about what his servants are up to. The commentator he gives then many benefits of the night vigil, Qiyam al-Layl, the night vigil. Um, they're quite beautiful. So the first is number one, it is an emulation of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's number one. Number one point, the one that really matters, is that the Prophet used to do this, and that's sufficient. That's a, that's one of the characteristics of the Muslims. Is that the love that they have for the Prophet ﷺ is so great that just a recognition of the things that he used to do is sufficient to initiate action and to develop culture. So that's it. It's it's sufficient. The Prophet did it. That's number one. Number two, it contains an immense reward and mighty honor. It is said in a hadith, after the prescribed prayers, there is none more meritorious than the night vigil prayer. Some of the early Salaf used to say, were it not for the night vigil prayer, I would not have liked to remain in the world. Others would say, the delight of the night vigil prayer is not of this world, it is but of the bounties of the hereafter, that Allah has advanced to his saints in this life. On one occasion, Junaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as salik Junaid is Salik. Junaid is the Imam of the people of Taqwa. You know, you have Imams in Aqidah, you have Imams in Fiqh, and you have Imams in Ihsan. And Junaid is the Imam of the Imams in Ihsan. On one occasion, Junaid was seen in a dream after his vision, after his death, and he was asked, "What has Allah done with you?" He replied, "Perished are those spiritual allusions, isharat." And past are those expressions. I have benefited from nothing save those few cycles of prayer that I used to perform in the darkness of night. So what is he saying? Like all of the discourse on spiritual matters and different things that we used to talk about in that regard, all of that is gone except for the few units of prayer that I ruqayat, ruqayat, some small units of prayer I used to pray in the middle of the night. That's all that remained. And I think this is really, really important. You know, sometimes when people get into matters of spirituality and stuff 
they get into like this mode of liking to talk about it and this and that and so on and so forth. They say, look, that's all of that is not really what matters. What really matters is that worship that I did to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when nobody else was around. That's what that's what really remains. Um, so that's number two. Number three, Allah has extolled those who are frequent in their night vigil prayers. Quote, it was but little of the night that they would sleep. And quote, and those who spend the night for their Lord prostrating and standing. So Allah has <coughs> praise this as well. Number four, someone who prays the night vigil prayer is likely to encounter the hour during which the prayers are answered. So in a hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that in the last third of the night, that is the time when Allah is closest to his servant and that he descends to the last uh, to the lowest part of the uh, um, sky or heavens and uh, he asked who and he asks subhana who is seeking my forgiveness so i may forgive them who is asking of me so that i may give them what they ask for and uh, basically you know this is a very important time and that time is sa'at al-istijaba also it is a time when the dua is answered so the person who's praying in the night is more likely to overlap with this hour. Number five, the time of the night vigil prayer is one wherein mercies descend and fragrant breezes fall. Oh, here's the narration. The emissary of Allah وسلم, said, During the last third of each night, our Lord descends to the lower heaven and says, Who calls upon me that I may... Respond to him who asks of me that I may give to him who seeks my forgiveness that I may forgive him Is there anyone supplicating and this is until the appearance of dawn? So this is a time when the dua is answered Number six the night vigil prayer is a genuine expression of sincerity and is free of ostentation or noticing creation for no one makes the effort to stand in the night and gives preference to it over sleep unless his faith is complete and his certainty true. It is a time of great sincerity because it's hard. It's hard to get up at that time. And nobody's going to get up at that time unless they really mean it. And so uh, it's, it's more likely that the person will be sincere in their prayer at that time. Number seven. The night vigil prayer adds blessing and increase to one's life. Sleep is death and wakefulness is life, basically, he argues. So if you get up at that time, you're adding to your life. Number eight, benefit is that the night vigil prayer takes a portion of the praiseworthy station. So the Prophet them in the dua that we make after the adhan, we say what? وَبْعَثْهُ اللَّهُ مَقَامًا مَحْمُولًا الَّذِي وَعَدْتَهُ Give him, the Prophet ﷺ, the praiseworthy station, مَقَامًا مَحْمُولًا And uh, in the verses about that as well, uh, there is mention to the night prayer. So the idea is that the Prophet ﷺ, part of why he has this special rank is because of his commitment to the night prayer. And so the person who is also sincere and committed to the night prayer will have a portion of that station. Uh, number nine, in addition, praying in the night confers on one a beautiful countenance. A beautiful countenance. Uh, one of the early scholars, he said, that uh, he who has many prayers at night will have a beautiful face in the day. And number ten, the angels, as well as the jinn who inhabit the heavens, listen and are gladdened by the recitation of the one who arises at night to pray. And so these are all different merits of the night prayer. And then he ends this section by saying, May Allah Most High out of His grace and largesse, and by the rank of our Master Muhammad wasallam, grant us the ability to stand in prayer during the night. Ameen. 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 So that is all. This verse ظَلَمْتُ سُنَّةَ مَنْ أَحْيَا الظَّلَامَ إِلَىٰ أَنَشْتَكَتْ قَدَمَاهُ الدُّرَّ مِنْ وَرَمِي Then he continues رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُ وَأَرْضَى وَشَدَّ مِنْ سَغَبٍ أَحْشَاءَهُ وَطَوَىٰ 
تحتن حجارتي كشحن مطرف الأدمي. This is kind of like a harder verse to recite when you're singing. So, if anyone sings this, it's a good one to pay attention to. وَشَدَّ مِنْ سَغَبٍ أَحْشَاءَهُ وَطَوَى تَحْتَنْ حِجَارَةِ كَشْحًا مُطْرَفَ الْأَدَمِ To quell his hunger, he tightened his midriff by strapping stones to his soft sides and strong ribs. So, um... Commentator, he says, you know, there's different reasons why you can praise someone. There's different reasons why we can praise someone. And uh, we can praise someone for traits that uh, they acquire. So they've worked hard and they've acquired a certain trait. Or we can praise someone for innate gifts that Allah has given them. You know, they just that's a gift that they have. It's not really something they acquired, but it's a gift. And yet we can still praise them for it. And uh, and we can also praise people for things that were um, given to them, but they're outside the grasp of human effort. Basically, uh, they've been given miracles, or karamat, or karamat for the people after the for the in the in the case of the prophets, marjizat, uh, which is basically just miracles. One is for prophets, and one is for non-prophets. Um, so we could praise people for any of those type of things And the author here is starting with Something that the Prophet ﷺ himself actually acquired uh, He deems it better to start with this Because it shows how the Prophet ﷺ Adopted the character traits of servanthood And manifested the might of lordship So he was really submitted to Allah And focused on how he can improve his relationship with Allah and so he he did many things in that regard, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's not just that, you know, um, that like everything came easy to him, but that he also, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, made mujahada, made effort in his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa taala. Sallallahu alaihi The context for this description. And in some ways, it's a continuation of the previous piece, right? I I I I um <coughs> I neglected the way of the one who uh, gave life to the night by praying in it until his ankles became swollen, and the one who placed a stone over his belly and soft skin, tightening a belt over it to diminish the hunger pangs, and the one who's going to come, and and the one who the mountains tried to tempt him by turning to gold, but he showed them the, the height of his own loftiness. You know, so all of these uh, descriptions are continuing descriptions of the one who were not fully fulfilling his right upon us. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the kind of like theme that he's going with. The story that this is related to is related to the Battle of the Trench. The Battle of the Trench is also known as uh, Khandaq. This is Battle of Khandaq. Or also known as Al Ahzab, the Battle of Al Ahzab, the Confederates. Um, uh, uh, I uh, can't remember right now. There's another name some, uh, referred to in the Quran. But basically, when all the people came together, essentially what happened was after Badr, after Uhud. Then the Quraysh, they gathered up all of their allies, their confederates, and they decided that they were going to march on Medina and try to wage an assault on Medina itself. And the Prophet ﷺ, in consultation with his companions, they decided that they would stay in Medina and, uh, and fortify it and try to protect it. And during that discussion, that's when they got the advice from Salman al-Farisi, anhu. Salman the Persian who uh, gave the advice he said you know sometimes when we would have battles in our lands we would dig a trench so that the enemy it's more difficult for them to cross over and then we can defend that we don't have any sort of natural defenses and so when they heard that they said the Arabs were not accustomed to this and they were like okay this is a good idea let's go with that 
So Medina was uh, had geographical barriers on several of its sides, mountains and such. And then on one of the areas it was more open, so they determined that they were going to dig this trench across that opening. And then they could defend that trench. You know, the, the, the invaders would have to pass over it. And so while they're trying to pass over it, the archers can shoot them and so on. So, um, but this was a big task uh, that needed to be done by the companions when they were also rationing at some level the, the whatever they had and low on their supplies because they're backed into the city. And so uh, many of the companions were, were very hungry at that time. And the Prophet ﷺ showed them that he was even more hungry because what happened was they were tying stones to their stomachs in order to uh, um, in order to deflect the pangs of hunger and so the Prophet ﷺ he showed them that he was actually not only one stone was, was tied around his stomach but two to indicate that his hunger was even greater and some of the narrations it says that it wasn't that the Prophet like showed them this you know hey here this is what I have but uh, but that they were trying to break a stone in in the ditch and nobody was able to break it and so they called the Prophet over and when they called him over he you know made some dhikr and he hit the stone and it cracked and when he went down into the trench in order to do that his shirt lifted up and that's when they saw that he actually had two stones on his body so it wasn't that um, these narrations indicate that he, it, it wasn't uh, it was what you would expect that the Prophet was humble about it and not showing anyone and so on and so forth uh, but he did tie that stone to his body in order to deflect the hunger pains Aisha radiallahu anha she said the emissary of Allah never ate barley bread three nights in a row until he met Allah the exalted and sublime he never complained to anyone and poverty was dearer to him than wealth he would spend an entire night writhing, uh, writhing, I think, in hunger, but that would not prevent him from fasting the following day. Uh, so the Prophet ﷺ was constant in his hunger, and yet he was very strong. He was very, very strong. Um, so much so that he defeated the master wrestler of his time, Rukana. And uh, he defeated him once and then he defeated him again and he defeated him again. He kept pinning him, getting him to the ground. And uh, the Prophet them was uh, very strong in that way. Um, he was very frugal and very content with little. And this is also, you know, an important aspect of the Sunnah of the Prophet them is to have contentment with little. And to have a focus on what things actually matter, and um, you know, to be easygoing in that regard. Um, uh, you know, I thought I felt like something was missing over here, and that's what's missing. I'm like, I haven't. have taken that down or something I don't know what happened to that maybe it fell the kids were playing or something but that picture you know uh, you probably can't see it especially with the with the screen showing but um, the pictures the picture of Sheikh Al-Husri radiallahu anhu the great Qadi the greatest Qadi of our modern time uh, like since there's recordings he's the greatest Qadi radiallahu anhu and um, it's a picture of him sitting on the ground, on the curb. He's wearing all of his Azhari clothes, very regal, very beautiful. And he's older in the picture, so, you know, he has like a gray beard. And he's sitting there on the curb and feeding the pigeons. So the pigeons are eating from his hand. So it shows this kind of like, regardless of the, the status of the person, um, 
there's still a humility in the way that they do things, in the way that they live, um, the things that they need, so to speak. Um, I think I mentioned this story, but I'll mention it again in case I did, but I think it still bears mentioning um, a story that one of the brothers who studied in Egypt was telling about one of his teachers that he he wanted to treat him to a, uh, you know, the teacher's like a usual teacher, poor person, poor, I don't know if he was poor or not, but probably very humble, um, eating fool for breakfast every day, not really like, you know, so concerned about it. And so the, the student, he wanted to treat him to like an international dessert or something. So he took him to one of these big dessert places and they got, they got some dessert. And after they got it, the sheikh asked the student, he's like, do you mind if we actually don't eat it here? And so they took it to go. And he told them, let's go sit in the ahwa. Let's go sit in the coffee shop and eat there, which is like where the regular people would be, where the shab would be. And uh, the the brother was reflecting on this hadith that says that if you have a servant, you should feed them from your food. And how the sheikh, when they went to the coffee shop, the sheikh, uh, they realized they needed spoons for their dessert. And so they asked the waiter for spoons. And when the waiter brought the spoons, the sheikh took the spoon and he told he told the waiter, he said, Ta'ala ibni, ta'ala ibni, like, come here, my son. And he took some of the dessert and put it in the, the, the waiter's mouth and fed him from it. It's a very, like, humble way of doing things in the way of the Prophet is a very humble way of doing things uh, actually on, on, on the topic of Shaykh al-Husri rahimahullah rahimu uh, I, I believe I've also mentioned this about him in the past but it's a, it's a beautiful story as well that he used to when they would go back to like his village uh, and they'd be driving then they'd get to a certain point and he'd always tell them, stop the car. And they'd, they'd stop the car, and then he'd get out of the car and he'd walk. And then they would pick him up again, just like a little bit further. You know, he'd walk for a little bit, and then they'd pick him up again. And uh, his daughter is telling the story, and she says, and I asked him, like, you know, why, why do you do this? And he said, because that tree right there is the tree that I finished memorizing the Qur'an under. And so whenever we come to it, I don't want to just ride past it. I get out and I, I walk by foot past that tree, and then I get back in the car. It's a very humble thing to do for someone of, uh, you know, um, especially for someone of his stature. Who is, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. He's the, he's the greatest Qadi of our time. And, uh, you know... They say that he actually bought that piece of land afterwards, like when he became more famous and stuff and he had money to be able to do these things. He bought that piece of land. He made uh, a madrasa there. He made like a uh, school for memorizing the Qur'an in the same place that he finished memorizing the Qur'an. Anhu. In any case, the way of the Prophet them the point is that his way is a way of simplicity. And oftentimes that meant that he was hungry. Oftentimes that meant that he was hungry. And this is detailed in a lot of different works. It's detailed in the Shifa of Qadi Iyad, the healing of Qadi Iyad. Um, it's translated, it's in a big green book. Um, it's also mentioned in the Ihya, a lot of com commentary on food, in the Ihya of Imam al Ghazali, and in other places as well. Um, I had intended to only go for 45 minutes today because I feel like an hour is long for people on Zoom and uh, I feel like it might be much for the people sometimes and yet we're only at 40 minutes now and that's not enough but if we do the next section we're going to end up with more. So, I'll just do the next one. The next verse is, 
وَرَاوَدَتْهُ الْجِبَالُ الشُّمُّ مِنْ ذَهَبٍ عَنْ نَفْسِهِ فَأَرَاهَا اَيَّمَا شَمَمِي وَرَاوَدَتْهُ الْجِبَالُ الشُّمُّ مِنْ ذَهَبٍ عَنْ نَفْسِهِ فَأَرَاهَا اَيَّمَا شَمَمِي Lofty mountains to entice him drape themselves in gold, but he showed them a towering soul, perfectly content without desire. Mm. That is a very interesting translation. It's very, um, it's very generous in terms of like, it's going by meaning, but it's not very direct. So the translation we have in the in the commentary is a little bit different. It says, "Lofty mountains tried to tempt him with turning to gold, but he showed them the height of his own loftiness." That's like actually what it's saying. So he showed them the height of his own loftiness. But he showed them a towering soul perfectly content without desire is not really, you know, directly what it says. It's within the meaning of it, but it's not so direct of a translation. The backstory of this verse is that uh, Angel Jibreel السلام, came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said to him, Allah relays his salutations to you and says, would you like me to turn these mountains into gold and silver for you, being with you wherever you go? The emissary of Allah lowered his head for some time and then said, O Jibreel, this world is the abode of him who has no abode. Uh, this is the abode of one who has no abode, and it is the wealth of one who has no wealth. Only a person lacking intellect seeks to amass it. And Jibreel said, May Allah make you firm, O Muhammad, with the firm statement. Like he made you firm and may you be able to live by it. So basically the meaning of this is also related to another narration where the Prophet ﷺ was given the choice to be a prophet king or a servant messenger, which we've also in many different classes this has come up uh, and is related to the point before that I just mentioned about humility, that he chose to be a servant messenger, not a prophet king wasallam. Uh, even if at some point the lands that he conquered and ruled over were uh, significant, significant, but yet he did not rule over them like a king would. And he stayed in the same home, with the same simple living, with the same hunger, with the same generosity, with the same lack of material possessions, sallallahu alayhi wa sitting on the ground, eating on the ground, uh, accepting the invitation of slaves to eat dinner t with him, and so on, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that was his way. Uh, so, you know, he he didn't, um, when they showed it, they tried to, so he says they tried to, the mountains tried to tempt him by turning to gold, but he showed them, basically he showed them what a real mountain is. And this is sometimes they'll say that the, the, the awliya, the awliya, the saints of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are like mountains. They're like mountains. They're they're strong and they're firm and they're deeply planted in the earth. And um, you know they say that the mountains are pegs that hold the earth in place. And if it weren't for them, then the earth would be uh, all um, uh, scattered. And the awliya are like that. They're like pegs. They hold the community together. They hold the people together. They hold the land together. And their mountains themselves. So the Prophet them the mountains tried to tempt him, and he showed them what a real mountain is. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's a it's a very powerful kind of um, uh, kind of description of the Prophet He also says in the commentary, it behooves the Prophet's heirs among the scholars and saints to emulate him, and eschew the world and avoid casting furtive glances at it busying themselves instead with the obligations of servitude that are incumbent upon them, such as disseminating sacred knowledge, actualizing it in themselves, and performing and perfecting righteous works. Likewise, it behooves the saints to avoid inclining to or longing for miracles and breaks with natural phenomena or anything of the sort. For according to the realized masters, the most tremendous miracle is upright rectitude, istiqama, in the inward and outward. And again, this is a theme that we've uh, come across many times that the true the true miracle 
is to be steadfast. Everything else is whatever. Like to the extent that in the old books and stuff, someone walks on water, they're like, okay, whatever. Someone flies on a magic carpet, whatever. You think you thought that was made up just out of, no, that's actually there as, you know, the kind, one of the kinds of miracles that people would have is that they would like float on their prayer carpet. The car- wh- Where did that little carpet come from that he's floating on? It's a prayer carpet. Um, so anyways, it doesn't matter. The point is that they wouldn't care about those things. Uh, the genie, yeah, the genie is clear, the jinni. So, um, uh, you know, even, even, the, um, even the idea of the cave, the lion mouth cave opening with iftah ya simsim, iftah ya simsim. Simsim is a is a nickname for Usama, and the meaning of Usama is a lion. So for open sesame, it makes sense if the cave is a lion and you're telling the cave open sesame. It's you're actually saying, iftah ya simsim. Anyways, uh, they didn't care about the miracles. The real miracle is to be steadfast. The real miracle is to keep going, to keep following the Sunnah of the Prophet them to persevere with the people even if they're causing you hardship to maintain the etiquette and way of living of the Prophet ﷺ in the face of difficulty. That's the real miracle. And along these lines, Shaykh Abdul Hassan al-Shadri said the following, this is in the commentary. Um, the reason why I'm reading this is because, again, many people when they start to talk about spirituality, they become focused on the wrong things. And these are the great... And, and then also you have people who Whenever some talk of spirituality comes up, they start to think it's like goofy stuff. This didn't have anything to do. Like, you know, these people, they're just a bunch of weirdos. And, uh, no, these are the great people of the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what they're saying about it. Not, not, not weirdo stuff. You'll see. They're saying that the, he says that the, according to the realized masters, the most tremendous miracle is istiqama. It's not the other things. It's to stay steadfast. And Shaykh Abdul Hassan al-Shadri radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, They are the two comprehensive and encompassing miracles, actualizing the miracle of faith with an increase in certitude and direct witnessing, and actualizing the miracle of works that are through emulation and following the Prophet wasallam, and avoiding false pretentious claims and self-delusion. So basically the first miracle is to really feel one's faith and to increase in their certainty and to witness Allah in their life. That's the first one. And the second main miracle is to remain steadfast in following the Prophet and to avoid pretentious claims and delusions. That's, that's the second miracle. Forget everything else. Those are the two miracles. If someone is granted these two miracles and yet still longs for something else besides them, he is a gross liar and slanderer or he is badly mistaken in knowledge and action. He may be likened to a person who is honored to witness a king who is well pleased with him, yet longs to go out and tend the beasts and refuses the king's good pleasure. Every miracle, quote-unquote, that is not accompanied by good pleasure from Allah and through Allah, its recipient is deluded and lured to destruction, mustadraj, or is deficient or destroyed. So basically that is the thing that matters more than anything else is that they're steadfast in the way of the Prophet And if they're not, then whatever hap- whatever else happens doesn't really matter. It's not significant. It's not important. It's not noteworthy. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us istiqama, to make us firm, and whatever it is that we might go through. SubhanAllah. It's like uh, I'm recalling... Um, like... One teacher, we were speaking one time, and he said that one of one of the things that he remembers about one of his sheikhs was that whatever that person might be going through internally, externally, he's the same. You know, externally, he's the same. Good, bad, whatever is going on inside when he's with the people. It's the same, and it's not that it's the same in the sense of like he's going to be laughing and joking and stuff. He was like a very stoic person, so it's uh, you know. But you wouldn't. Sometimes there's 
turbulation that's going on inside could be negative sometimes there's elation that's going on inside could be positive but that is dealt with with a level of moderation and consistency uh, as Allah mentions in Surah Al-Hadid لِكَيْ لَا تَأْسَوْ عَلَى مَا فَاتَكُمْ وَلَا تَفْرَحُوا بِمَا آتَاكُمْ So that you do not have despair over what has missed you and you don't have elation over what has been given to you that you can't take kind of a moderate route we ask Allah to give us the ability to follow the sunnah in our lives Allahumma amin wa sallallahu wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam walhamdulillah if there's any questions or comments or observations things to share you are welcome to do so inshallah Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik Nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Wal'asr Innal insana lafi khusr Illa alladhina amanu wa aminu salihat Watawasaw bilhaqi Watawasaw bilsabr Barakallahu fikum Inshallah we will see you next time Next Sunday actually I'm mistaken. Next Sunday is our special event with uh, Sheikh Ubaidullah Evans um, on the the I don't, I don't remember the exact title, but on the life and legacy of Malcolm X. So, Alhamdulillah, we're we're happy to be able to welcome our brother Ubaidullah and to hear from him. Mashallah, he's very um, very gifted. Very bright and very thoughtful And uh, inshallah His discourse will be a discourse of great benefit For those who are able to attend So uh, I encourage everyone to, to try to come through for that Barakallah fikum We'll see you next time Assalamu alaikum